Hello and welcome to a series of short podcasts titled Regulation and Reputation, Two Sides of the Same Coin. These podcasts are being released as part of Osborne Clark's 2023 Disputes Week, a series of webinars, videos and podcasts which take a pragmatic and commercial look at current disputes issues facing companies and their in-house legal teams. My name is Henry Fox and I'm a commercial disputes lawyer here at Osborne Clark with a particular focus on media and information related disputes and my work in includes advising clients on reputation and crisis related issues. In each session of this series, I'll be joined by a different guest and we'll take a look at some of the different contexts in which the worlds of regulatory disputes and reputational issues collide. And we'll discuss how clients who are caught up in regulatory matters can take steps to protect their reputations. In this final episode of the series, I'm very pleased to be joined by Kate Brader, Senior Managing Director and Head of Crisis at FGI Consulting. Kate is someone we like to work closely with in a crisis, quite literally, since FGI's London office is a stone's throw from Osborne Clark. And it's great to be able to get an external view on some of the issues which we've been looking at in this series. Kate, thanks very much for joining me. Can you start by telling us a bit about your career to date? Hello, Henry. Thank you very much for finding the time to speak to me today. So I've spent close to 20 years working in both crisis management and crisis communications. And what that means is I look at the structures and the processes that are needed to bring a cross-functional team of people together. That could be your existing executive. It could be the board. It could be a crisis management team made up of a, a combination of, of all of those parts of the business. And then how does that team make decisions about what is happening? But also then how does it communicate and engage with stakeholders around what is happening and how it's responding to it? And that could be any industry, any kind of crisis. And what sort of regulatory matters do you tend to get involved in? So two of the biggest areas that we work in are financial services. And of course, there are you know, a, a vast array of, of regulators um, in the UK, but we typically work in the UK and other jurisdictions as well. So regardless of the issue or the incident, the regulators for the financial services sector are always considered as a stakeholder with whatever issue we might be dealing with. But specifically, we could be dealing with something that is a contravention of financial regulatory requirements. So that could be fraud or it could be sanctions. So in the FS sphere, all the time. Um, cybersecurity incidents are the other big area that we, we do a lot of work in. So responding directly to um, an external hack or a, a threat. And their in, engagement with the Information Commissioner's Office is really, really important. And everything that we do and respond to and importantly work with legal counsel on is driven by when we begin to engage with the ICO and what it is that we talk to the ICO about what is happening and, and how we're responding to it. We, we do also uh, increasingly, it, we're, we're finding more interaction at the moment with regulators through both um, arising greenwashing uh, challenges or sustainability challenges. And that could be either challenges around advertising codes or you know, direct engagement with, with Ofgem, for example. Um, and we've even you know, had engagement with regulators in, in the housing sector, um, particularly around issues related to cladding, where there's you know, that real vacuum of public expectation about what we should be doing to regulate and support organisations and actually what's being, being done to bring the regulation, but also the support to enact regulation up to scratch there. Well, there's obviously a really broad range of areas which you cover, Kate. Um, what particular reputational challenges do you see arise in, in these sorts of matters? 
So we find that every regulator has its own flavour and uh, getting to know them, getting to understand them uh, is, is an important part of uh, understanding how they might respond or they might critically use um, reputation or, or the media as, as a tool in their toolkit. So if we're ever working on a case with the Competition Markets Authority, that's really in quite interesting. Number one, they have enormous power. They can be judge, jury and executioner um, for, for whoever it is that they're looking at at that particular moment in time. But two, they, they do really understand how to use the media and how to engage stakeholders through the media. And unfortunately for us, that's usually um, you know, adverse against my clients. It's also, I think, helpful to understand the broader dynamics or the pressures that might be on regulators. So what the political environment or the macroeconomic environment is that might be driving them to act or behave and particularly, you know, to push through enforcements in a way that they might not have done in, in other um, sectors. So, you know, if you look, for example, at the pressure that the water services regulatory authority is under at the moment, um, you could understand how that might be a regulator that might feel compelled to act and to, compelled to act in a greater way than it has at any other time in its history. Um, and each time we have to assess how that body is going to use the media and what they might do to put pressure on our clients. Sometimes the enforcement action might not even be the main aim of the game. It might just be that they, they're using that reputational pressure, that publicity as the wrap on the knuckles or, you know, even using our clients as the sort of the scalp to hold up to other people as the example of why others shouldn't follow their their lead. Yeah, this is really interesting and it, and it ties in very much with what my, what my colleague um, Katie Vickery was saying in the session we did on product safety and how she sees this increasing trend um, of regulators using the media uh, as part of their enforcement process. And as you say, there's this desire for there to be a deterrent effect from the, from the media coverage um, on, on other players in the market. Um, what would your advice be to clients who want to go on the offensive in these situations and, and challenge a false narrative that may arise in the media as a, as a result of of, of, of um, regulatory announcements? Because, of course, a client may uh, be under investigation, um, but that doesn't mean they've done anything wrong. Yeah, it's really tricky, actually. The what you know, very broad brush, and of course there'll be exceptions to this. But the point at which a regulator has announced an investigation is really quite a difficult moment to challenge. There's very little that you can say. You don't want to prejudice the outcome of it. You'd certainly, again, be working very closely with legal counsel at that moment in time. Um, usually, the moment when you can um, challenge is more around the judgment. Um, and we do see that. We see uh, an enormous number of, of clients and, and other you know, non-clients that we observe as well we're very happy to sort of call out the regulator, call out the fines or the judgment as, as wholly unfair and, and point to the reasons why they're unfair. There is the sort of a slight grey area in between where you can, um, you know, use existing processes or um, initiatives that you have in place and remind people about those to sort of, you know, enforce that, for example, if they're saying you have a really poor record on money laundering, if you're sending around an update, a reminder, putting employees through training, uh, you know, AML training at that moment in time, that is all helpful and, and part of the, the picture and the case you can build about why um, that enforcement action is potentially wrong. And Kate, over your career, you've advised all sorts of clients in the heat of a crisis, and you must have sat in more boardrooms and been on more Teams calls uh, than you'd care to remember. Um, having observed so many clients and advisors in these situations, what, in your view, makes a good crisis responder? 
I like to count the number of meals that I've missed because I've been sat on calls and that that makes me really unhappy Henry um but I think it's really about understanding what the creative solution to a crisis is if you're looking to fix back to the point that you were at before that's that's a sticking plaster it's not going to get you um, uh, it's not going to put you on a trajectory that's going to help you to avoid the same situation again. So it's really about how do you alter that that line of travel? Um, how do you make changes in your organisation, even if these were just allegations? But, you know, what was it that, that compelled these allegations? What do you need to fundamentally change that you don't, don't end back in the, the same spot that you were in a few months or a few years? And looking at the subjects of advisors, as you know, as lawyers we're often brought in alongside other advisors such as your team and, and you quickly have to form a, a working relationship uh, with others and what's your general approach to um, working alongside other advisors in, in crisis situations? Yeah so we've, we've got this whole thing at FTI called our moment of truth and I was asked to to talk about what my moment of truth was for a client and I said well actually it was a moment of truth for me it was a sort of point of realisation where I understood that, you know, the, the essence of a crisis is not about finding the perfect answer. It's not about me arguing my case and, you know, why my answer to something is the right one. It's about helping the client to understand that there is simply just, a, you know, a whole load of risks that they have to work out which of those risks they are prepared to accept and which of those risks they are you know not happy with altogether and it's helping the clients to navigate through those and just presenting the risk versus the you know this is the only answer that you must accept yeah, that's a really good way of looking at it i think if, if i had to think about my my moment of truth it, it would be in, in a similar vein um it would be that realization that as a lawyer uh, in these scenarios you have to guard against looking at things as, as a purely legal issue with a purely yeah. legal solution and, and instead focus on what is the client's objective um, and what's the best outcome for the client and th there's a tendency of lawyers to think oh well this is a legal issue it requires a legal solution and similarly for comms advisors to think that this is a comms issue it requires a, 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 a comms uh, uh, solution um, when often it's it's much more complicated and I think it's so key to get all the advisors in a room at the earliest point and and have that exchange of ideas and as you say it's about presenting um, risks and opinion uh, risks and options yeah 100%. Also, why it's important for us to build that relationship with the law firm before we get into that room so that we all appreciate that we're human beings who can work together and find the right answer for the clients together as well. Exactly. That that that's that really is crucial. It's it's um uh, it's no use uh, suddenly having to, having to get to know each other in in the heat of a crisis if you can do that relationship building exercise before it's uh, it, it really does pay dividends. Um Unfortunately, we're coming to the end of the session, but can I finish by asking a question that I've asked all of my OC colleagues, uh, and that is, what are your top tips for clients who, who may find themselves in, in a regulatory crisis? Yeah, the, there's one, and that's about, you know, as any regulator reaches maturity and um, they start to move beyond looking at the, the boxes that have been tipped, you know, <clears throat> it's not just did you have multi-factor authentication in place in a cyber incident? It's did you have policies and processes and training that help your people to understand the risk of cyber incident? And importantly, a culture within the organisation that promoted being cyber secure and, and aware of the threats. So it's that's just one example, but it's a greater emphasis on them assessing an organisation's culture. So not just 
did you have? But did you have? Do people understand? And what did you do to practice or rehearse your response to it on a regular basis? Kate, it's been brilliant to get this external perspective from you. And thanks so much for joining me. It's been a total pleasure, Henry. Thank you very, very much for your time.